All right, another episode of Ballers with Babies coming up in just a moment, but excited to tell you about another one of our new partners, Evolve Golf. Look, I'm a huge golfer. If you are, my gosh, what golfer on your holiday shopping list wouldn't want personalized epic golf tees in their stocking or a hand-forged metal or a supremely comfortable and durable Motion Wool Performance Golf Sock? These are great gifts. I use them myself. The team at Evolve Golf has come up with fun and personalized gifts to fit any budget this holiday season. Did we mention that Evolve's Black Friday deals will be available now until New Year's Day? but only available on EvolveGolf.com slash holiday until New Year's Day. Check it out. You'll like it. EvolveGolf.com slash holiday. Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today, we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realized. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. Okay, let's get JT O'Sullivan in here on Ballers with Babies. Of course, you know the name as a quarterback in the NFL because he probably played for your favorite team. This was crazy to me. 11 different NFL teams, the CFL, the NFL Europe. How many addresses have you had in your life? <laughs> uh, there was this, definitely a part where it was too many. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I mean, do you look at this in, in terms of the way it was as a football career, or do you look at it in terms of the life experiences that it brought? I mean, I look at it from all of those lenses, to be honest with you. I, I think, you know, now having the, a little bit of time and capacity to reflect back on it, it just gave me a great head start on life, and I got to live out my dream. I mean, shoot, who doesn't want to play quarterback in the league? You know, and I got to play for a third of the league. What what were the negatives of moving around so much, if there were any? I mean, there, you know, there certainly were some negatives to it. I think, you know, obviously the thing about that level is that everybody wants to play. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, if you're a linebacker and you're the sixth guy on the depth chart, you get to play a handful of special team snaps. You know, if you're the third string quarterback, you know, you don't even exist nowadays. But, you know, if you're the backup quarterback, I used to tell people that I, I died a little bit every Sunday. You know, yeah. there's just an element of you that just wants to compete like hell. And so when those opportunities, when you feel like those opportunities aren't given to you for whatever reason, or you don't have the capacity to earn that opportunity is really what it comes down to for whatever reason, you know, it's, it sucks. But but I loved competing and playing at the highest level. It was, it was a lot of fun for me to get to, to peek behind the scenes on so many different organizations. But, you know, getting cut – you know, seven, eight times sucks moving around the country, staying in extended stays. You know, it's not the greatest environment, but <laughs> it was, you know, it was great. I, I have no complaints when it comes to that, man. It was, it was a lot of, it tested my, my grit resilience. And, you know, if I really loved it and, and I did. And so I, I tried to, so I tried to suck the marrow out of that career and, and really make the absolute most of it and, and, and really feel like I did, and I'm proud of it. Yeah, now you move on to the next phase of your career, which I'm sure is also centered around uh, your family. You have three sons, right? Is that correct? 
Yeah, three little dudes. Yeah, there's a lot going on, right? I mean, now, were, were, were any of them born yet when you were still playing? Yeah, my our oldest, uh, Jack, who's now eight, he was, shoot, he was probably three when I retired, or okay. not retired, but got kicked out of all the leagues, so... <laughs> You know, he uh, he got to come into the locker room and you know put on the helmet, run around on the field, and do all those cool things. You know that you see that you see the players out there wrestling with their kids, tackling them on the field. I have all those memories, and and you know he has photos of them. I'm not sure he remembers it. Right, <laughs> he'll say someday that he does. I'm sure. But uh, in what way has now becoming a father, you know, three boys shaped what you want to do next with your career? You know, it, it's it's everything, really. I mean, it's it's the center of of our existence out here, and so it's a uh, you know three boys, uh, third grader Jack, a kindergartner Larkin, and then a preschooler Davis, and uh, you know our our world centers around providing them with a great childhood and, and future and and all the opportunities that they want, and so really for me, my my passions after playing. Are, are tethered to education and athletics and, and finding whatever that mixture looks like going forward is, is what I'm excited about and blending those things together with, you know, my kids experience and, and youth. And, and I know I had such a great experience growing up playing sports. All my memories are, you know, playing in the field or playing in the, in the street, playing pickup basketball, you know, those type of things and being able to create that opportunity for them, whether they like sports or not, just the idea of having fun, find enjoying your childhood tethered to sports is, is something that I'd love to provide. You know, I, I saw you, I think in a uh, previous interview or I read that, that you are uh, in line with a lot of people who now believe uh, from a youth football perspective, this is, you know, tackle football. This should not happen until high school is it, what are your beliefs on that? And how are you transferring those to your boys as they get older? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's a, uh... It's a delicate subject, and I and I tread lightly for this because I, I really do think it's a lot of a lot of family choice and individual choice. Hopefully, the kids want to play, you know. But it's uh, for me personally. I grew up playing flag football. My parents didn't let me play till I got in high school, so I didn't think it was a big deal to my development. I I I just loved playing everything, you know. Back in the day, I grew up. It was seasonal, you know. You played everything. You know, like you go from soccer to flag football to basketball to baseball to, you know, to whatever. It wasn't, there was no year round thought. And so my idea of tackle football for, for families and kids is, is to really be smart and make it a conscious decision and make sure the kid really wants to play and then hopefully feel really comfortable with the organization, the, the equipment, the coaches, and then just understand exactly what you're, what you're signing up for. But I, you know, I, it's not going to hurt my feelings at all if my kids, grow up and want nothing to do with tackle football yeah uh, i just i just know that i'm I, i'm sensitive about being a hypocrite on the subject and think that if i was to say oh this is you know it's not going to happen or you're not allowed to do to do it it almost makes it more desirable and so i want them to to fall in love with whatever they want to do and, and get the opportunity to pursue that is it true that you never suffered a concussion in your entire career well, I didn't get hit very often. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you played a lot in college. You played at other levels. You you did play some football. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I, I I can definitely say that I never got diagnosed with a concussion. You know, I'm, I was there was a long time where I was really proud about. I never came. I never got. I never came out. I never missed a snap in practice. I never missed a snap in a game. Uh, but the flip side of that, and this is a story to tell you how how just the the paradigm has shifted in this regard is. 
the trainer for the 49ers, he loves to tell me that he still uses me as a, as a kind of case study about what not to do. But <laughs> I, I, I bounced around so much and I had such the mentality that I was never going to come off the field. If I ever got my opportunity, I sure as heck wasn't going to let a trainer or doctor tell me that I couldn't go. And so, you know, back in the, back in the day, I used to fail those tests all the time, the baseline tests, not fail them, but purposefully not perform as high as you probably could. And so he made me, I guess I underperformed so poorly in San Francisco that they made me redo it. And I had to do it in front of a learning specialist. And he, and I, you know, I, I did the same thing, you know, I missed, a, you know, you miss a couple things, you make just some pencil errors. And the guy came to our trainer and, and staff and said, you know, I, you know, I just can't clear this guy. He either has a severe learning disability or he's purposely failing this test. Right. <laughs> and I was, you know, that was just the mindset. I mean, at the time I didn't think twice. I said, yeah, you know, that, that's my baseline. Right. If, if something happens to me, you know, I'll get three, three out of 10 questions. Right. You know, oh man. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I listen. I mean, I, I feel like the, you know, from talking to a lot of guys uh, who played the sport, it's amazing how different the mindset is now than it was even just a handful of years ago. And I think what you're, the story you just told is, is kind of tapping into that, right? I mean, that there, there was always that thought you, you stay on the field no matter what, until somebody pulls you off, but Guys don't have that anymore, and guys aren't really allowed to have that anymore, are they? I, I mean, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's probably a, a, a me being ignorant as much as anything, but it was also, you're right, a mentality where a, a kind of a pseudo-tough guy, like I'm not coming off the field. But then the other part of me that still has a hard time letting go of it is, you know, if you work half a decade for an opportunity at the highest levels, you know, you know, there's a part of me that says, you know what, I'm not coming off the field. Right. And, uh, you know, that's the part that you can tell is dangerous. That you know, that's why you have professionals that, that kind of take your helmet from you nowadays. But I know stories. Shoot, I remember Brett Favre getting a concussion. They took his helmet. He had two helmets on the sideline, <laughs> and he just grabbed his other helmet and went in. Didn't remember throwing a touchdown pass. So I mean, that that was the norm. You know, that was just that was how it went. What do you think is the right way for football to shape its future? with, with all of these issues that we're talking about? You know, I, I really don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. I think I, I hope that they find a way to continue to evolve the game with, with what they're doing to protect players, but also to hopefully the, the technology and the equipment continues to increase. But I, I know that, you know, I was a big proponent of always, I never really not granted as a quarterback, it's a lot easier, but I always liked practices that weren't padded or full pads. Like I always think it's kind of clownish to be tackling at practice at, at younger levels, stuff like that, or wrapping people up, taking them to the ground. All those hits, I think in my opinion, will eventually kind of dissipate from the game and it'll be much more practice in helmets or practice in hats and be able to learn how to practice really fast. That's one thing about the NFL that they do really well. If you can practice full speed in a helmet, or in a hat and not have the same type of collisions, but work on the same type of things that you need to work on to be ready to go on Sundays. So I think the, the game will continue to evolve, but I don't know if there's a really an answer to be honest with you. I, I, I think we'll see what the, what our collective society wants to say about what the future of the sport looks like. So, you, you know, you mentioned not ending up getting to actually play as many games as you wanted, but with all these experiences, all the different quarterback rooms that you were a part of, all the uh, quarterbacks that you were around. 
maybe you are uniquely talented to do what I know is a part of what you're doing next. Let's hear about the QBschool.com. What is it? What are you hoping to do with it? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's hopefully kind of a platform that really is a, is a unique niche. You know, there's, there's not that – I know when I watch games, I get frustrated with broadcasters. And when I go on, you know, YouTube or someone sends me this, I get frustrated by, by some of the levels of analysis going on. And I just want to bring something – that I wish was available when I was growing up. I just want information on what they're doing. I want to know scheme-wise what they're being asked to do. I want to know what things are called, what the right read is, or what they're looking for. And so, really, I'm just trying to elevate the conversation with what's going on with us, with football and the quarterback position, really. You know, there are so many gurus out there now that are, make, that are you know, basically charging kids to learn how to play quarterback. And I just want the information available and share it at a really high level. And so... I'm hopefully uniquely qualified, what you said. You know, I, I just finished my just finished going back to school to finish my PhD, so I didn't have a lot of time to kind of lock in with football and had a nice little break from the game. But now that I have a little bit more time and being able to come back and use it as a form of education to just say what's going on and provide, you know, whether you're a young quarterback, whether you're a coach, whether you're just a fan, or I've had a lot of interaction with just armchair fans that, mm-hmm. that love it and want to know more about it and, you know, and really, I'm just trying to give a more in-depth kind of take on it because when you're doing a play or you're a color guy, you don't have the time to really go deep. you got to be really fast about what you see and what angle they're showing. But I, this is an opportunity to dive really deep and realize exactly what they're doing from an installation process to what they're being asked to do at the highest levels. And, and it's just the stuff that I really liked about football. It's why I gravitated towards it. You know, I remember being in high school and having notebooks where I've had more plays drawn in it than I would notes for chemistry. You know, that was just what I like to do. And so this is a way for me to bridge that educational element with hopefully something that's fun and, and people like. So how does the process work? I, I, somebody sits down, looks at this online, and there's there's kind of a forum to discuss this stuff? How does it work? Yeah, there's a few different things. There's a, there's a, the, the major way that I'm doing it is, it's just communicating through YouTube and putting the videos available. And so you basically get on there and I'll do maybe basically five a week. So every day has their own little theme, you know, Monday in the league is victory Monday, hopefully. And so really looking as, as an example of that as being something where you can do like, what does it take to play quarterback to earn a victory Monday? So little nuanced things that they're doing to win, to separate themselves. And so what I do is just go in, watch a couple games, find some plays that I think are really interesting and then dive into it and, and jump on a telestrator. And, you know, the technology is so great nowadays that, that I can go in there and really just talk over the film and, and hopefully make it clear, concise, something that makes sense to both the lay fan and the, you know, the quarterback or the coach that's in it and, and make it exciting and entertaining and, and just build on it. And it's fun for me. You know, I, I like not necessarily wanting to purposely not go into the kind of NFL coach track, but also be able to, you know, give back to the game, something that gave me so much. And so it's fun for me to get involved and, and stay in touch. And I, I like watching guys that I played with and, and coaches that I know. And, and it's fun. I think you can tell that the teaching is, is in your, your DNA. This is a teaching tool. I know you taught at the university level as well. Why is teaching something that's important to you and speaks to you uh, so much? Well, I mean, for a lot of reasons, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm actually working on a class right now. I'm set to teach a course at USD next uh, in the spring. It's basically a sports and leadership class. And it's basically the class that I wish I existed when I was an undergraduate. Hmm. 
So really, I did the same thing with this website and this YouTube channel. It's basically, I wish there was something out there that I could have learned from, from someone who knew what they were talking about, hopefully a little bit, and enjoyed it and made it fun. And so it's important to me because education, you know, is, is the critical driver for what makes our society and communities better. And my education has given me so many opportunities and choices, and it really helped me in my transition from playing in the league to figuring out whatever's next. This education just gives me more and more opportunity to really do the things that I love to do and connect and be creative and, and create content that's fun. And it's a it's an opportunity to give back and impact the lives of so many people. And, and I, I like it. You know, it's, it's very, uh, it's a fine line, though. I, I definitely, I have many friends going through doc school who wanted to do the uh, career path to be an academic. And that's not the path. Right. <laughs> To be, to be, you know, to have the capacity to be able to adjunct and teach and create curriculum that that I want to teach and I connect with this is really special. It's a fortunate. I I understand that I come at a at this from a great sense of extreme privilege, but with that, you know, I I feel a sense of responsibility to give back to the game and give back to education in ways that that I think can help young people and help people just in general get better. You're touching on it a little bit throughout that answer, but, but what's, what's the best thing football taught you? You know, I I think it changed and evolved over the course of my career. You know, I I think originally it was to connect with something that you love doing. I think from there, it really turned into learning how to overcome adversity and be really resilient and grit gritty and committed. And then, you know, reflecting back on it now, I think the thing that beyond the, and this this is taking away like the superficial answer that everyone can give about being a great teammate and it's a leadership lab and stuff like that, that, that is all true. But I think learning for me personally, looking back on it now, it really taught me to fail well. And I, and I, what I mean by that is like, you know, you get cut, you reevaluate what happened, you get better, you improve, you, you stick on somewhere else. And to do that at the highest levels, gave me a great sense of confidence that I could have the capacity to be able to evaluate things in real time, get better, stick at the highest level, and really just keep doing it. And from a macro sense of, you know, yeah, that sucks getting cut. It's nice to hop on somewhere else. You take that to a really play-by-play element of, all right, you know, I threw that pick, I'll bounce back, you know, on to the next. Having the capacity to know, play the next play, those type of things are, are things that are transferable in life to even how you learn to parent. You know, like you got to teach your kids to uh, have the capacity to bounce back and be a, to be able to to not be overcome by by any sort of major issues, even though you know they might be living an extremely privileged world, to create those opportunities for them to fail well, I think is something that I'm really going to take with me. Okay, quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Green Solar Technologies. You know, summer's over, but you homeowners out there are still having to pay crazy electric bills. Have you thought about solar? I'm sure you've seen a lot of your neighbors and your friends going solar. Maybe it's time you checked it out and discovered the incredible savings you'll enjoy when compared to the ever-increasing bills you pay your utility company. Green Solar Technologies has made going solar an easy, game-changing move. Call my guys at Green Solar today at 310-893-0099 to find out if solar makes sense for you. I bet it will. Call 310 310- 893-0099. That's 310-893-0099. Also, GST is growing like crazy and is hiring new ambassadors where, with very little effort, 
You can make a ton of money. To check it out further, ask your solar advisor at the 310-893-0099 number or go to greensolartechnologies.com slash ambassador for additional info. Continuing on Ballers with Babies with J.T. O'Sullivan, many years in the NFL as a quarterback. I want to talk about your background, your childhood a little bit. My wife grew up in Fair Oaks, by the way. So we, we've got a lot of, and, and I'm from the Bay Area originally, we've got a lot of Northern California roots. What, what was your experience like growing up in the, in the greater Sacramento area? <laughs> yeah, it was great. You know, I, I'm a, I was an L.A. kid up until about junior high and then moved up to, to Folsom. So I know, I know that part of staff pretty well, and, and I loved it. I mean, it was great. It was a, you know, I can remember coming out of high school, there were three guys that all went, all quarterbacks that went to Pac-10 schools at the time. So, you know, I was a guy who flew way under the radar, but it was a great place to grow up. Shoot, I remember fishing, being out on the lake, being outside. And I always tell my kids, I'm like, you're outside kid. Get outside, right. play. That's the, I, you know, I, I, remember, I grew up on a lake and a river and, and was just used to be dropped off, you know, find your way home. So those type of creating those environments for me, for our, for my kids is, is really important. And it was great. I mean, I, I was, uh, it was one of those things I, I was fortunate enough to go to Jesuit and it was, is an all boys school in Sacramento and, and it, and I, I joke around a little bit, but it, but I'm truthful here. It taught me a lot about what I didn't want to be as much as what I wanted to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. There was, it was, it was a lot of academic rigor. I remember the first time class rankings came out. I didn't even know what a class ranking was. And I was in like the, the hundred and fifties of a 200 person class. And I'm like, Oh, I'm getting, my, I'm getting killed here. <laughs> like I didn't even like, like I didn't know that this existed. And so, you know, just knowing that the competition that, that, that put me on track for to be able to, to handle those type of situations, but also realize that there were a lot of people that I didn't necessarily jive with that, that I didn't want to hang out with. And so being able to teach me what I didn't want to be at a young age, I think really helped me uh, to look to aspire to what I wanted to do. And that background, uh, you were a 49er fan growing up, right? I, I used to go to the 49er training camp every day in Rockland. I have more Steve Young and Jerry Rice autographs than I'm comfortable <laughs> saying. <laughs> okay, this is great. I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk about manifestation for a second. You grew up a 49er fan, and then one day. You are the 49ers starting quarterback. Do you believe in manifestation? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I believe in trying to create the best opportunity and choices that you can have. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a special thing when you reflect back on it. And it's probably more than coincidence, but, but it was, uh, you know, it was one of, 11 stops too. No, no doubt. No doubt. But I also know, like, we've seen this a lot. You may, you may remember the letter that came out uh, that about Colin Kaepernick when he was a little kid, that he wanted to be the 49ers quarterback. This kid, Nick Mullins, that's starting for them now, same thing, wanted to be the 49ers starting quarterback. And I'm just fascinated by seemingly at least the ability that humans might uh, have to, to realize things that they sort of put in their mind's eye. And I, I wonder if, if when we say it that way, maybe you do relate to it a little bit more, maybe even on a, on a play, you know, like do you visualize a play and a pass route or whatever before it happens? What, what, what's been your experience with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think my pushback to you on a little bit of that would be, you know, there's a section of people that grew up that were football fans that the 49ers were the class of quarterbacking, you know, yes. basically for two for two generations. I know I've heard Tom Brady talk about how he wanted to be Steve Young and Joe Montana too. Sure. So it's a, you know, from that element, I definitely wanted to be Steve Young. I remember watching him thinking that he threw the ball so well. He used to throw these little check wides in the West Coast offense, a little wide route to Roger Craig, and it was or Ricky Waters, and it was like a handoff. And I was like, God, I got to learn how to do that. And I, things like that, absolutely. But it's, uh, you know, I, the 49er thing for me was, a, was an out-of-body experience for a number of reasons. It was fascinating. It was fascinating to play. It was crazy to, to be playing for the 49ers. But it was, you know, I, I was more, uh, and this is going to sound, I don't know how this will sound, but I, as growing up, I was never really like an NFL fan. Yeah. I just liked playing football. You know, I, I, my parents didn't, we live in Sacramento. We didn't go to, you know, 49er games. You know, we, we, we played in the backyard. We played at the park. You know, we were, we were busy playing as opposed to, you know, being fans. And I, and I, I don't know if that totally makes sense, but it was, it was something where it was never really, I never really aspired to that. My parents weren't athletes. You know, no one, nobody I knew was going to go play in the league, things like that. It was just, you played because you love to play. Yeah. And, I, and it wasn't just, you played you play football. I remember I probably have more memories of growing up playing baseball than I do playing anything else. So it was just, I love being outside, love sports, love athletics and, and being able to keep playing football was, was basically how it happened for me. You say your parents weren't athletes. Where, where did your ability come from? I, you know, I, I think they were, uh, they had the competitive mindset. My, uh, my dad used to love to joke that he uh, that he got cut from his JV baseball team and that ended his his athletic career. But he <laughs> he he was the one thing, not the one thing, but many things I, I take from from the childhood that I grew up with my parents and what they provided us. Is my dad did this amazing thing where he would always say that he was always available to go practice. It wasn't he never said we're going to go practice, we're going to do this because he didn't even know really what we were doing. He just said, if you want to go throw, I'll go catch. You want to go hit? I'll go throw batting, batting practice. You want to catch grounders? I'll hit you grounders. So that availability really, for me, made me, I think it made me a little bit better, but it also made me just, you know, we had a special relationship when it came to that. He was always available, and that's the same way that I, I hope to create the same environment for my kids. You know, you want to play catch? I'm here. You want to, you know, you want to shoot some buckets? I'm available. That type of thing. Speaking of the environment you want to create for your kids, I, I wondered about this because I have three kids as well, but but I, I, we have a daughter. So you've got three boys. Your house is four males, one one female, and a whole lot of sports going on, obviously, with, with your life and work. So do you and your wife think about how to introduce things like, uh, you know, respect for females, you know, anything that's on the feminine side? How do you keep a house like yours from becoming too masculine as the boys get older? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think we are, yes. The answer is yes. We are, we are very intentional that we create opportunities for strong women to be in their lives. And so they already have strong women in their lives. Their mom is, is the strongest of all of them. But they, uh, we create very intentional opportunities for them to see women as not only equals, but oftentimes much better than, than young men at certain things. And so the being able to be intentional to create that environment where they spend quality time with their mom, individual quality time with their mom, with their grandmothers, with their aunts, with, our, with their friends, to be able to see women as be able to do whatever they possibly want. And the respect 
and uh, and everything that goes into those type of relationships is, is is something that I know my wife and I have intentionally tried to cultivate. Now we certainly can continue to do better, and I'm probably being naive when they're only eight and five and three to be able to, to be even more intentional as we move forward. But I think you you do yourself a disservice if you're not intentional in trying to create that type of equity and equality and have those conversations and be able to give them real-time feedback. I think that's one thing about leadership that I that I really learned from, from going through all of this advanced education is the capacity to give real-time feedback, to be like, yo, that's not cool to say you twirl like a girl. Like, I know that's from a movie and I love Sandlot, but that, that stuff doesn't fly anymore, bro. So it's not funny when you say it. You can laugh at it in the movie, but you have to understand context and realize that those times have changed and that there are many girls that throw much better than you. And I remember, and then, you know, and then I like to give personal stories. I grew up with a, with a, with a girl who was in my same kind of elementary junior high trajectory, who was an amazing gymnast, a world-class gymnast. She was faster than I was stronger than I was. And so I was constantly humbled in that regard. And so that's just the norm. And so I think we do a, we try to do a good job of creating that, but, but my wife is the catalyst. She's a rock star. She, you know, they don't have to look much further than her. Yeah. You called her strong, a rock star. I've always wondered about the football wife. That's a hard job. I I think of the scene in Jerry Maguire where, you know, the wife is watching TV and the Rod Tidwell character gets hurt and then they go to commercial and she's just sitting there like, Oh my gosh, is, is my husband? Okay. What was that experience like for your wife? Do you think? You know, I, I don't necessarily want to put words in her mouth, but she was a great, She's, and she still is a great support element for me. She, you know, she was there through many of the, uh, many of the tough, you know, getting cut, getting released, moving, you know, there was one time where <laughs> she hates this story, but we were in Cincinnati and I got cut from Cincinnati and we had lived out here in San Diego for probably five. I had lived out here for maybe five years at the time, get cut from Cincinnati. She's in Cincinnati with our newborn. And uh, I get picked up by the chargers and North. And so I'm back in San Diego. She's got to pack up an apartment. You know, I'm, 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 I'm hanging out with her friends, you know, and, and, you know, she's, she's dealing with all sorts of chaos. So, you know, she, she, she was great with that. And she knew that, and that, that that's the other thing. She's, she's, she knew that it's a short window. You know, you gotta, you gotta take advantage of those opportunities in that career. And so it's not forever. And uh, she did a great job of helping me kind of achieve my dream, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have been near as fun without her. And so I, I'm appreciative that she was along for the ride. Yeah, you know, the job that you had and, and the bouncing around and the backup quarterback, and I get you were talking about this earlier, the competitive nature of a professional athlete uh, being the backup quarterback or the third string quarterback has to be very hard. O- on the other hand, I've often joked uh, that backup quarterback in many ways could be uh, at least physically one of the best jobs in sports. You get paid pretty well. You're a professional football player. You don't get hit a lot. So there's not a lot of risk of injury. And you're usually a pretty popular guy with the fans. Uh, Is that perspective worthwhile at all? Or is that just totally off? No, no. I mean, I think uh, there's an element of that. I mean, the optics certainly suggest that. I think the the thing that I always look for is the guys that stick around. You know, there's a, there's, the guy, once you make it past about year five, if you make it past year five in the league, you're really good. Yeah. And if you're a, if, if you're a backup who makes it past year five, that means that you have a ridiculous amount of grit and resolve because it sucks. You know, you're like, yes, 
obviously you're not going to walk away from that paycheck, but you need to have the capacity to perform at a really high level with really small repetitions, with really small amount of practice. And it takes a special skill set. And it, and it, and it, it takes a lot of resolve and to be able to go out there and work your craft and be the guy who, to your point, you know, loves, you know, that your buddy throws three picks and they start chanting for your name. Well, that's not a, that's not a great feeling, you know. Oftentimes, you know, quarterbacks are usually pretty good friends. And so you, you, you want that guy who's playing to do well. And it's, uh, you know, it's a fine line. I, you know, I think I honestly used to say, and I still kind of believe this, the guys who, who really take that point of view, like, oh, you know, this is cool. I'm not getting hit. I'm not, you know, I'm getting paid. I'm the best. I'm the most popular guy in town. Those guys don't usually survive very long doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. eventually you're going to, you're going to get your time, whether your time is the preseason, whether your time is coming in at the end of the year or when your team really needs you you have to be able to perform at a ridiculously high level. And there's no expectation that there's going to be a significant drop-off if the quarterback comes in and they need a third down to win a game. Like, I mean, I've seen it happen enough where that's the job. You've been in so many quarterback rooms, all those quarterbacks, all those coaches. What, what separates the good ones from the bad ones? Jeez. <laughs> uh, I... I it's probably more than than this podcast or any listener wants to hear about. I, I think the thing that that the thing in my mind that I really appreciated by by going around and being able to see so many different organizations is just that all these organizations are run completely different, and it really does kind of trend from the top down as far as what their philosophy is and what they accept. And so, the two that I really enjoyed the most were were Bill Belichick and Mike Martz, and Mike. Mark, he has a, a reputation for being kind of like a wild scientist type, but he really, his standard of excellence was he was explicit about it. He held everyone to the same standard, and it was it was no you knew exactly the level of play that you were supposed to bring every day, and I loved it. And it was the same way with my limited time with Bill in New England. He, I remember he called out Tom Brady in a team meeting, and I was like, and I was. I'd never seen the starting quarterback get called out. And this was a guy at the time who had already won a handful of Super Bowls. And he, the other, the other thing that Bill did that I, that I really loved and had never seen in any other NFL organization, most times every day in the NFL starts with a team meeting or like after the special teams meeting, like a team meeting where everyone's together to kind of talk about the schedule, logistics, whatever. Bill would jump into all three phases and had video clips from the day's practice and would circle people and be like, you, pro you play like this, we will lose. This level is not good enough. And I, it was fast. It was eye-opening for me. I, I loved it, but I can imagine it would be, it would be an intense environment for a long period of time. But obviously, they, they've got it rolling, and, and the systems are, are pretty imp impressive. Home stress. Let's stick to sports with JT O'Sullivan, Ballers with Babies, and I actually just want to continue on, on a topic you were just discussing there. Here's one thing I've always wondered about the Belichick locker room, and, and you've even said. Uh, all these programs are run differently. And I guess my question is why? I mean, there are enough players that have gone through the New England uh, uh, locker room and are now in other teams where that winning formula could be, be shared. And, and I guess for some reason, uh, maybe it's just like a non-willingness. Other, other programs, teams don't adapt. We always hear it's a copycat league, but they don't do that. Why, why, are, why are they all so different? Oh, this is an easy one. Uh, Tom Brady. I mean, you know, it's a, you look at, you know, I, I'm sure there's been a lot of work about Bill's track record and, and Bel Belichick's coaches that have gone off to other organizations and for whatever reason hasn't worked. But I think it's a, you know, 
none of these, and this is a this is a good idea to tether it back to the QB school. None of these things are one-off elements. They're always more complicated, more complex than they seem. And so these, that relationship between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady is special. Like I've never seen another quarterback and head coach. They would we would come off the meeting, we would come off the practice field or walkthrough field, and they would have their own individual meeting. And it felt like every day. And I'd never seen that anywhere else. And I don't know if they're talking life, game plan, yeah. whatever. But it was it was fascinating to watch just as, like as a fly on the wall of what that relationship looked like. And they, you know, I think that they collectively elevate everyone around them to to basically increase their capacity for what they're doing and hold people to a higher level of standard. And so I don't think I, I don't think that either would be as great without each other, but together they're the perfect combination. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think that that can be copied because. You can't copy those two guys. Those two guys make it go, in my opinion. And so, you know, that's that's why teams have tried to to take little bits and pieces of it. But but the combination of what Bill demands and the standard that Tom plays with and demands from the other players can't be copied. That's why it's so special. So are the other greats on on some sort of, you know, inside level not quite the same? I know you've been around other greats. Favre, uh, Rogers, very early, Rivers. It, it, what's wh- where is Brady different than those guys? I think he's different because of the relationship with Bill. I mean, all you talk about those guys, like Aaron has been with Mike McCarthy for a long time. And I, I was with Mike taught me NFL offense. He was my offense coordinator for three years in new Orleans, very sharp guy. And I'm sure they have a great relationship, but Mike is an offensive guy. Bill's a defensive guy. Bill has the capacity to bring a different lens to what that relationship looks like. I think that Phillip has gone through a handful of coaches. It's been a, he's had all sorts of his own issues being with the San Diego, LA, all sorts of transition protection issues. You know, I, I have a, I think Phillip's one of the best to ever do it and can spin it from pure as, as well as anybody. And then Brett, I was with Brett towards the end of his career, but Brett was locked in his ways. You know, it was, uh, he had his, you know, he had a separate locker. He had a separate entrance. It was a, it was a different type of thing. Tom, I don't think I, I haven't been around Tom Brady in ten years, but I don't think he operates like that. Yeah, you know, they're, they're very intentional about creating their culture, the Patriot way. Do your job. Simplistic things, but people can understand that. You can, you can, you can comprehend that. You can buy into that, even if it's only for a few seasons. You know, Tom and Bill are the longevity. They keep it together. They're the glue to it, but but they can sell that system. By the way, what, it's, a, it's, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Chargers having to deal with uh, the the move, and and I know you've you've got roots now in San Diego. What what do you think about the long term viability of the Chargers in LA? You know, I, I've kind of to, I've totally detached myself from their move. I, I really still feel just really bad for San Diego fans. To be honest with you, that's kind of the my overarching feel for that i just think that there's a huge void and it's a bummer i mean i you know there are so many lifelong san diego charger fans and to say that that doesn't exist anymore or for whatever that healing looks like for our community down here to deal with what that looks like who knows i mean i think the simplistic uh analysis would be winning cures everything and you know they come in here and go to the super bowl this year you know all of a sudden la might love them what do you know who knows it's a. I just feel really bad for friends that were lifetime San Diego Charger fans, and and to have that taken away from them, because you know the perception that that the son of an owner is is chasing money is you know it's a bummer. It's yeah. unfortunate, and and uh, you know I, I don't know if, if 
we'll ever know exactly what it looks like until it sorts itself out in LA. I, I mean, I can't imagine they're excited about going up there and being a tenant, but it's, uh, you know, we'll see. It's just, a, a, the thing about being a fan and the San Diego charger fans is I always think of yourself as you're a fan. Like, like I'm a 49er fan, like you're a 49er fan. You, you grow up with those teams. But when their team is ripped away from you or, you know, no one has grown up an LA charger fan. So there's a significant void there of generations of fans. And so how they mix that and meld that is up to them. But it's a it's a significant gap, and, and I would be pretty nervous if I was them. Yeah. I know you also spent some time with the Raiders. What do you think about their viability in Vegas? <laughs> That's pretty exciting. I mean, I, you know, I – it's funny. I was watching a little bit of the Raiders, and it, it's like a flashback with Gruden back there doing things that you haven't <laughs> seen for for fifteen years. And and I, you know, I got a video coming out in a few weeks about one. They tried a trick play actually against the Chargers on a fourth and goal. They they ran a great fake punt, come up, and they do kind of a fourth and goal trick play, almost like a it's almost like the in vogue thing to do now after the Philadelphia play. You know, run a trick play on the goal line, fourth right. and goal, and it, and it didn't work for any number of reasons, but it. You know, it's uh, you know, it's fascinating. I I, I personally think that the uh, the sports betting thing is going to become just a, a more normal part of this culture. I think it's kind of the sleeping giant for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, have found ways to get around that type of stuff for a long time, and it's become much more normal, normalized to be able to bet on sports, and it's not as big a deal or quite the worry that I think it was generations ago. Well, I tell you what, it's called the QBSchool.com, the YouTube channel alongside it as well, JT O'Sullivan. I think this is a really interesting project. People love quarterbacks with the rule changes that are going on in the NFL. That's only going to grow. You know, it's the most important position in sports. By the way, what's your perspective on on the new rules? You know, I I, I really like them. I, I, I think that they I think that the intent of the rules as far as protecting the quarterback is the right intent. I think that they, whether they're exactly pinpointed in as far as how you protect the quarterback with the, with some of the late hits and, and hits on the quarterback, I think, you know, can, will iron themselves out. But as far as the trajectory of what they're, what they know is important and that's the quarterback position. And it's really starting quarterbacks, high level quarterbacks, the stars of the league. I think it's, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. JT, great stuff. Great to have you. I really appreciate it that you took the time. My pleasure, Mark. All right, now that you've completed another episode of Ballers with Babies, and I thank you so much for that, I invite you to check out another great podcast on the CastBox platform, The Box of Oddities, hosted by husband-wife team Kat and Jethro Gilligan. Got amazing chemistry, which is good because, you know, they're married. Uh, They talk about anything unusual, true stories of the strange, bizarre, and unexpected, like the frozen severed head of baseball legend Ted Williams or a possible parallel universe. It's a lot of fun. Comes out twice a week, Monday and Thursday. They've even got a live show coming up next February in Nashville. Search and subscribe to the Box of Oddities now. 